Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to Jonah chapter 2 and uh, leave that open this morning as we'll be looking at this text and we learn more in this series. So if you weren't with us last week, let me tell you where we've been so you know where we're headed this morning. We are looking at this little uh, short story of the life of Jonah or a moment in the life of Jonah, four chapters, and we're going to be looking at it for four weeks as we really are looking into how does the grace of God deal with our self-righteousness? How does it deal with those moments where we feel we don't need God and instead we learn to learn to love and want and pursue God? Knowing Jonah's story is a lot like knowing my story, and I think it may be knowing your story. So we've entitled this series, I Am Jonah. Now, Jonah was a prophet who had a relationship with God. He had faith in God, and he trusted God. So Jonah's not a villain here. He's just a man. And that's why we can see ourselves in this story, to understand that he makes good choices and poor choices, but he's not, he's not an, an evil person who has no desire of God. He actually has a relationship with God, and then his world changes because God asks him to go preach a message of salvation to the Assyrian people in the town of Nineveh. Now, the Assyrian people were a violent, ruthless, imperialistic nation. They were an actual threat to Jonah and his nation. So Jonah's assessment of them is not inaccurate. He knew who they were, and he knew what they had done. And so all of that was true, except when the moment of God's will confronted Jonah's will, Jonah chose his own will. Jonah despised and disliked them. He didn't want to spare them. He wanted them to suffer. So Jonah's spirituality was more connected to his will than God's, and that's where self-sufficiency comes into play. And it's easy for us to understand. I, I don't know about you, but I could say clearly, I have run from God. Have you? Have you run and hidden in shame like Adam and Eve did when they sinned and hid in the bushes from God in their nakedness? I think it's, it's hard for us to admit that because we're proud and we're doing better and we're not horrible or evil. But remember, the whole story is about understanding what it is to know God and trust the sovereignty of God in every area of our life. And when we run from God, we hide. Now, you may not totally run, but here's the equivalence of running. You get busy. You have excuses. It's okay, people understand why you're not engaged. People understand why you're not committed. People understand why there's no real investment in the kingdom, but you're trying. So we live in a culture that says, well, at least they're trying, at least they're trying, which is actually the epitome of self-sufficiency. Trying and trying and trying and actually not getting where you need to go. It's like a child who's told to do the one chore that they hated to do, and mine would have been the dishes. And so my parents would say, Mark, do the dishes. And I would go to my room, and I would straighten my sock drawer, and I'd make my bed, and I would clean up my closet, and I would vacuum, and I would dust, and I would make my room beautiful. And at the end of the time, they'd say, the dishes aren't done. I said, well, look at my room. I did good. But it wasn't what I was asked. What I was asked to do was what they needed me to do, and I did what I wanted to do, and I hid behind it as if that good work made me obedient. This is what self-sufficiency and self-righteousness are truly all about. So God pursues Jonah, and he pursues him hard, and he pursues him relentlessly. But I don't want you to picture, like in one of my favorite novels, you have uh, Jovert who's chasing Jean Valjean in Les Mis. He's He's not pursuing him like that. Jovert wanted to take... Jean Valjean and punish him and and end his life and make him suffer for his injustices while being unjust the entire time. And that's not how God pursues us. 
God pursues us like a parent pursuing a rebellious child, trying to save them from any more hurt, any more destruction and death. God pursues us with love, not with anger, not with venom, not with malice. And so Jonah, running from God, boards a ship to Spain, which is where Tarsus would have been located in today's world. And while heading to Spain, God brings a storm. And Jonah knows why the storm is there. And so Jonah tells the fishermen, you're not going to survive this if you leave me on the boat. Throw me overboard, and your boat and your sailors will be saved. And they try to stop doing that, and they try to row back to shore, and they can't make it, so they toss him over. And with full intentions of death awaiting him, fully believing, because you'll see in this story that the reason I say I am Jonah, and you might be Jonah too, is Jonah does well for a while, and then he does it, and he does well, and he doesn't, he does well, and he doesn't. Is that your story? Because it is mine. I try really hard to walk by faith. I'm just not really good at walking long and hard. I can walk hard for short spurts, but when it gets really hard, then I take a nap. And this is what Jonah's doing in this story. And so he actually falls asleep. He's awakened. He realizes the storm. It's God pursuing him. It's an unusual storm. And he knows what it's all about. So they throw him over water and he expects to die. Because two or three times in this story, this four chapter story of Jonah, he says to God, I wish I, would, I were dead. I would rather be dead than doing this thing you want me to do. So he's thrown overboard. He's thinking, I'm going to die. It'll be over. I won't have to go to Tarshish. <laughs> not with our God, a large fish swallows him. That's all it says. A great fish of the sea swallows him, and there we are. You see, the storm provided submission. Jonah knew he couldn't outrun God, so he surrendered to God by being thrown over. But the fish provides grace. Of all the ways God could provide grace, I would prefer it's not a fish that swallowed me. How about you? As a child, I think I may have been biased by Pinocchio, I thought the fish was a big angry fish. I thought it was a bad fish. And God was punishing Jonah with the bad fish. And now I realize he, it wasn't a bad fish. It was actually a blessing. It was a good fish. And that anything that God uses to save us ends up ultimately being good. Even this horrible fish. And so the fish provided grace. You see, bad storms can be good storms if God's in the storm. And big fish can be acts of grace if God's the one directing it. And when God comes to capture our minds, he doesn't compete with us. Understand this theology clearly. When God wants to gather your attention, he does not compete with your idols. He destroys them. Linus, he takes your blanket. And you have to learn to live without it because when you learn to live without it, you actually understand you never needed it. What you really needed was him. And so God doesn't compete. He captures. So three days and nights in the belly of the fish actually turned out to be an act of grace even though I want to point this out, it had to be horrible, huh? Now in Pinocchio, he was on a raft and there was plenty of room and he could light a fire and none of that makes sense. I don't think Jonah was in Pinocchio's raft in the cartoon. Jonah was in the belly of a whale and there would have been stomach acid and there would have been dead things he'd already eaten and there would have been smell and there would have been heat and there would have been closeness. How do you do in close, dark spaces that you can't willingly get out of? I don't do so well, how about you? I'm gonna to confess to you, I become angry when people pin me. When my brothers used to pin me on the ground, put their knees on my chest and dribble spit over my face, it was not pleasant. I did not thank them for the fun ride, no. I did whatever I could to make that stop. One time, I have uh, two older brothers, so I have four, uh, I'm one of four, but I have two older brothers and a younger brother. My oldest brother, Steve, is five years older than me. You never meet a nicer guy in the entire world. He and I have never had an argument, we've never had a disagreement except one time. He was with some of his friends. He was kind to me when we were alone, but when his friends came, they were like dogs. Three dogs are dangerous. And they 
coerced me into going into a storm pipe knowing it had been capped off at the end. I went in head first and I, I couldn't turn around to come out and I was trapped and they trapped me in there. It felt like five or six days, but it's probably just 10 minutes. And my brother Steve is standing on the stage will tell you that when they let me out of there, they had never seen a look on my face like that before. And the only time my brother and I ever fought, I whipped him, truth. Not because I was a tough guy, because Steve said he was horrified at how furious I was and he couldn't stop me from throwing punches. I was so furious and angry because I panicked. Well, I'm not proud of this moment, I'm not a tough guy. But I panicked because I was so full of fear. And when I think of Jonah's story, I have to imagine the torturous fear he was in, thinking he was gonna die and realizing death may have been a blessing. And there he was trapped in this horrible experience. And what did he do in the midst of all of that pressure and angst and fear and panic? Chapter two, verse one. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord as God. That is a surprising turn in this story, isn't it? The guy who was once running is now running back. When Jonah considers where he was and all that has happened, he prays and he has a breakthrough. I've called this message a transformative prayer, but I wanna be clear about this. This is not a formula. I'm not saying that if you pray, you know, the prayer of Jonah or the prayer of Jabez, that God's gonna give you something. God's not a genie in a lamp. You're actually, when you pray a transformative prayer, the fact that you're praying is denying your self-sufficiency. One of the reasons God wants us to pray is to remind ourselves we need him. We're not God. We're not sovereign in anything. And we have little, little control compared to what we think. So I want us to understand this morning why God pursues us so passionately because Jonah received it. He received grace. So let's begin. I just wanna show you three things this morning from the text. The first is the awakening to grace that Jonah has. I want you to see what all of us need in our lives is an awakening not to just the concept of it, but to, to fully embrace what this is. At the very end of his prayer, I know I'm gonna jump around the text, that's why I want you to have your Bibles open, because I want you to see how this comes together. That the more we see our need for grace, the more it becomes important to us. Now we're warned in the scripture that you shouldn't see grace as just that antidote that gets you out of trouble. So Paul says, should we sin more so that there's more grace? Because if there's more grace, then God gets more love. He says, no, absolutely not. He said, in fact, God forbids that. That we don't presume upon his grace. Like there's so much, there's so much of it, it really doesn't matter what we do. God just wants to forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive and be careful. Remember, inherent in every act of disobedience is a storm. And grace will meet us in the storm, but sometimes you don't have to have a storm to experience grace and to relish it. So the more we presume that grace is easy and free, we're only admitting that we're denying the cost of grace to God. Never forget the sacrifice of Calvary. Never forget the man on the cross and the suffering servant who did that for us. You cannot presume on grace if you see the cross. You can only respect the length that God went to bring us grace. I hope this isn't offensive, but maybe each of us could use three nights in the belly of a fish to remember who we were. You see, we once defied God, just like Jonah. We once felt the fear of God as he pursued us, realizing that we had sinned and we would have to answer to God. Do you remember the fear in your heart when you realize that you have defied the great, noble, good, worthy king and that you'll have to give an accounting for your life? Do you remember how you once deserved and expected to be annihilated and just done away with? And yet God, like 
Jonah experienced when God pursued him? Jonah thought, I should be dead. And God says, no, I want to give you life. And when we experience what Jonah experiences, we will understand grace in a new way and not take advantage of it, not presume on it. Read with me verses eight and nine. This is a part of his prayer. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. I think it's in the King James translation of this particular text that it says that those who cling to worthless idols sac- or forfeit the love of God. It's not like the love of God isn't available to them, but they have actually walked away from its being theirs by rejecting and rebelling and walking away and refusing it. God's love is for everybody, but not everybody receives it. Why? Because God chooses? No, because we choose. We have a voice in this. And yet when Jonah brings this whole prayer to culmination, the one statement he says is, salvation comes from the Lord. This is what some scholars have said is the summary verse of the Bible. This is what the story is about, that salvation can only come from the Lord. And yet God originated this. We broke this. God brought restoration in and salvation can only be found through the Lord. And this is a conversation we have in church and I'm really fearful that some of you are here and go, yeah, Mark, we know this. We're, we're saved. We, we're believers in God. We realize salvation comes from the Lord, but practically living it out, it's hard to witness that. It's hard to witness in our world because this is how people reason. These are conversations I get to have every week with good people I love and respect. They come up with this. They're the non-religious people. I'm doing fine, I'm good. I don't need to be saved. Don't worry about me, I'm doing just fine. Their statement is not salvation comes from the Lord. Their lives say salvation is unnecessary. I'll, I'll live with my choices. I'll take my chances. The religious people I meet, they're good people, they're kind people. But they say, I've done good. I, I read my Bible, I've, I pray, I've gone to church my entire lifetime. I, God will bless me and God will help me. And their, their statement is salvation is of me. God will save me because I have positioned myself for him to do so. And it is rampant in religion to simply say there is a formula to get God's approval, follow the formula. And I'm here to tell you that's not true. The scriptures say clearly, salvation is only of the Lord and it has nothing to do with us. It has nothing to do with our character. It has nothing to do with our reclamation. It has nothing to do with our trophies. It comes from his love and only his love. Salvation only is of the Lord and it's only his idea. And that's what changed Jonah. He should be dead. He should be dead two or three times now. And instead, God is is giving him opportunity. God is showing him grace. God has kept him alive. Colossians chapter one, verse six, Paul says this about grace. The gospel has borne fruit in you since the first day you understood the grace of God and all its truth. Think about that. The gospel really begins to change us. When does it really begin to bear fruit in our life? It's not the day you say you believe it. Acknowledging a truth doesn't make it true inside of you. Acknowledging something is true doesn't change your reality. So when does the grace really change us? The day we allow the grace of God and its depth to become ours. The day we confess what Jonah does. I need salvation. And the only salvation I need comes from the Lord. And then grace begins to overwhelm us. And grace begins to become the engine 
behind our daily lives. Now, I'm not suggesting that I want you to live your entire life going, I'm a sinner, I'm horrible, I've done bad things. No, no, that reality lives around us all the time. Our limitations remind us regularly that we are not the creator, we are the created. But what I do want us to understand is that when we get this awareness, this awakening to grace, we, we go to this next thing about grasping grace. The next level is, is actually living it out and allowing grace to be our motivation rather than fear rather than power, rather than accomplishment or self-righteousness. We actually live in grace and we enjoy it. Martin Luther defined saving faith in three phases. He said the first phase is the mind knowing. And this is the American church. We have the facts, we have scripture, we have any preacher you want, the best preachers in the world are available on podcasts or YouTube. You You can listen to 78 sermons a week. You can do great depths of theology like no generation's ever had at their fingertips. In the comfort of your pajamas and your favorite beverage, you can sit in front of your screen and listen to the best teachers of the Bible in the entire world. And we know more about the scripture than probably any generation's ever have and are morally bankrupt in our behaviors. So it's not knowledge that saves us. It's a part of it. It's the heart consenting is the second phase. It's that that moment that we each had when the truth of Christ was presented to us and something inside of us said, I need him. I, I need him. He loves me. I need him. And the last part is the will committing. This is where Jonah was stuck. He knew God and he knew what God wanted. And at one point in his life, he said to God, I'll do what you ask. And then when God asked him to do something he didn't want to, he said, I ain't doing that. His will and his heart were never fully committed. Listen to his prayer in that tight, dark, dank, hot, horrible place. Verse two through seven, he cried. In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains, I sank down. The earth beneath me barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought me life, my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. It's not important, it's not just important that we learn to live because of grace. We have to learn to live through grace. We have to see our place in God's story as part of his redemption. Living redeemed lives will make a difference to your neighbors, to your family, to those you love and care about. And when we hear what he prayed, I think it's fascinating. This man running from God turns around and says, and it's not just crying uncle because God's got his arms so far up his back, he's in pain. He's actually calling out going, I know what I need right now and I need the thing that I rejected. I need his presence and his power. But a buddy of mine, Monty French, is preaching through this series the same time we are and we've been sharing notes and ideas and he sent me something that I'd never seen before. He said, if you take the prayer here, Jonah is referencing scripture. He's quoting the Psalms. And if you have a study Bible, you can see the references. Let me list them off for you to understand that this is not just one idea. He's not taking an abstract idea and he's actually praying Psalms. He's praying Psalm 3, 11, 18, 30, 31, 42, 50, 69, 77, 86, 88, 116, and 120. And that's just the Psalms. That's not the other references to other Old Testament passages. 
And when Monty shared that with me, I thought, dude, that's awesome. I'm stealing that. And then I thought, oh, I'm a mess. When I get under pressure and under stress, first thing out of my mouth isn't a psalm. How about you? I don't stop and go, and the Lord said, I don't at all. I'm like, ah, stop. Leave me alone. That's unfair. Quit. My life's horrible. And then I hear Jesus' words in Matthew 15, the things that come out of a person's mouth come from their heart. And I'm like, I am Jonah, except not as good. Because Jonah quoted scripture. First thing that fell on him was the faithfulness of God. Listen to his prayer. Read his prayer this week. And what you're going to discern is he knew who God was because God had been faithful to him. And when he was in a mess, he knew where to turn. And one of the beautiful parts of this that I want you to, to remember as you read this is it's really easy to stop and go, okay, I, gotta, I, I just got to pray scripture. No, 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 no. It's why you pray scripture. You see, the biggest antidote to self-righteousness is prayer. The self-righteous don't pray. They don't need to. They got it. I got it. I'll take care of everything. But those who have been broken of self-righteousness find that prayer is natural as breathing because they live through grace. And this is what our challenge is. Jonah doesn't bargain with God, he surrenders. He just calls out and says, you saved me, you rescued me, you pulled me up. The sea was barring me in forever, I was a dead man and you raised me to life. He got it. Because he knew the scripture said this is what God does. Not a God who pursues us with venom and anger, but God who restores us. He pursues us to bring us to life. And then in verses four and seven, it won't appear on the screen, but if you have your scriptures, I want you to see here, I want you to notice that twice Jonah tells us what brought him back. He looked to the temple. In verses four and seven, he said, I looked to your holy temple. Well, what takes place in the temple? The presence of God and the sacrifices that cleanse us. He knew what he needed. He didn't just need to be rescued. He needed God. He needed the sacrificial work of God. He needed the goodness and mercy of God. His self-sufficiency was devastated. His self-righteousness was exposed. And in his prayer, he didn't say, God, rescue me. He said, you are God. You are the deliverer. You are the one who's worthy. I look to your holy temple, to the sacrifices for me. And then God does his work. He was awakened to grace, and then he grasped it fully. And then lastly, he experienced it. But the way he experienced it was awkward, but it was true. I've called this again a transformative prayer, not as a formula, but as a confession. That where do we turn when the storms come? Where do we turn when we've broken things? When do we turn when we're desperate and needy and we cannot save ourselves? And I don't want this to be a prayer you only pray when life is hard, but it is a prayer you pray when life is hard. Salvation is of the Lord. My only hope is in Jesus Christ and the Father who sent him for us, that we might know life, that we might know hope. Because as storms are inherent in our rebellion, so are blessings inherent in our obedience. So what do I see that Jonah received as he experienced grace? His fear met was met with faith. The man who was scared, the man who ran, the man who thought he was dead, the, the man who did not want the Assyrian saved. Verse nine, but I with the song of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. What is the vow of a prophet? The vow of a prophet is to do what he's asked and say what he's told. 
The prophet said, I will, I will do what you ask and demonstrate it. And if you read the life of the prophets in the Old Testament, not a great occupation if you want to live a fun life. They did what they were told. They said what they were told. It cost them their lives. They were punished. Jesus even honored them by saying, the prophets that were sent to you, you killed all of them. His vow was not that he would go do good things. His vow was that he would be God's. So when he says here that I will, what I have vowed, I will make good, he's not saying I will go preach. He's saying you, my will will become yours. I will end my will to receive yours. That's a huge statement. And this is what experiencing grace does to us. When we've experienced the goodness of God, the will of God becomes good rather than threatening and dark and impossible. Jonah's actually saying that he will sacrifice himself, not goats. He would go to this cruel, vicious nation and offer them grace and peace. His fear was gone through his faith. This prayer needs prayed every day. Salvation is only of the Lord, but not just my salvation. So salvation of everybody is only of the Lord. And the way God will bring that about is through God's will, not mine. That's why in Romans 8, we're given this encouragement. If God loved us so much, he spared not his own son, how will he then not together with Jesus freely give us all things? Our fear will be met with faith when we know the grace of God and our superiority will be altered. Remember, Jonah didn't want to go preach to those people, you know, those people. And yet now he's willing to go to preach to those people. Why? Because Jonah realized he too was those people. He was no better than them. It doesn't matter the color of your skin, your gender, your ethnicity. It doesn't matter if you live a good life or a bad life. The mercy of God is available to all who understand his grace and receive him as their restored father. You see, idolatry rejects only what the real God can offer us. You know, when I, when I said it, and of course you all roared with laughter as you have all morning. Remember when I said, maybe some of us should spend three days a night in the belly of a fish and you all rolled your eyes at me? Do you know what you learn in the belly of a fish? You learn what your idols are. Linus, your blanket gets taken. And when it's taken, you realize you're fine. And then you find out what makes you fine is the presence and goodness and comfort of our father. So Jonah realized that God was not just a God of the, of the Jewish Hebrew people. He was, a job of, he was the God of all nations. And when he realized that, he said, I'll keep my vow. I will say what you've told me to say because I know you will bring salvation. And many of you know the end of the story. Jonah doesn't like the outcome, but that's, when you sacrifice your will, it's not about your outcome. It's about God's outcome. So the transformative prayer is a, is a prayer we pray every day. We wake up every day and say, I look to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. Verse nine. But I with shouts of grateful praise will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. I will tell people that salvation is only of God. I will tell people that they need saved and that God is not a God that's chasing them with venom, but he's chasing them with compassion and love and mercy. And when he said those words, when he said, God, I will honor you as my father, verse 10. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Sometimes the deliverance of God is unpleasant. See, you might picture that he flopped out all clean. No, I think he was a mess. I think he was scarred and stained by this experience. I think one of the reasons that Jonah's sermon will work so well in Tarshish 
is they looked at him and thought, whoa, look at that dude. And he preached the goodness of God with the scars that proved it. First, or chapter three, verse one. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. You wanna learn something valuable here? I don't really like this, but I think it's still true. I'm uncomfortable with it because it crosses my will every day. When we walk away from the will of God, when we return to him, I'll have you know that the will of God will not have changed. God has told us, love me with all your heart, soul, mind, body, and strength, and then go love your neighbors just like I've loved you. The will of God is never going to change. He is gonna continue to call us to experience his love and share his love. And when we do that, he will change lives, he will change generations, he will change nations, and they will enter into his kingdom with his goodness intact. The will of God is not going to change, so ours must. When Jonah prayed the final verse of his prayer, he said, I will do what you ask. I will bend my will to yours. He was released. And God said, let's get about my will because my will is love. I'd like you to consider this with me this morning as I conclude. Every single time you or I get to a soul space where our performance becomes our standard of whether or not we're good or not, when our selfishness becomes justified because we deserve this, when God's desires for us become optional, remember the prayer that frees us. Salvation is of the Lord and only of the Lord. And our God has been faithful and good. He has been kind and he has been just. And in Jesus Christ, he showed us love. He released us from our prison of rebellion and his will has not changed. Love the Lord your God with your all and love the world because of that. Even those people, even your enemies, face your fears with faith. And trust me, there are some of us hearing my voice this morning who have never pledged your loyalty to God. Let me tell you, you're no different than I am. I'm Jonah. And I've had moments in my lives where storms have come that I brought on myself. And it wasn't God's punishment, it was God's grace to awaken me to a better life through Jesus Christ. And that's all we wanna offer you this morning. And you can come out in the foyer and if you head out and go to your right, there's a corner, there's a prayer station. And guess what? You don't even have to pray there. If you wanna talk to somebody, we're there. We're here for you. We're not here to fix you. We're here to walk with you in the grace of Jesus Christ. And for those of us who once professed faith and find ourselves on a ship to Tarshish, get off the ship. Go back to that last moment you had with God. Hear his will for you and bend your will to his and watch what God does. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.